At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. My name is Jenna Nichols, and I'm joined with John Rubin. Mr. Rubin is employed at the UNC School of Government and where he specializes in criminal law. He's been doing this for 30 years, and he has created many online resources, one of which is the Relief from a Criminal Conviction Guide. It's available free online for the general public and for practicing attorneys. And today he has joined us to talk about the Second Chance Act, or known as SB 562. This legislation is a bit of a patchwork, continued evolution of removing the scarlet letter of a criminal record from individuals. Thank you for joining us today. And is there anything you would like to give the listeners about expunction law, just a general understanding for the ones who are not familiar with it? I'm happy to join you today. I think that's a good place to start. The law on expunctions, as in other areas of criminal law, comes primarily from state law. Each state has its own rules on what an expunction means. In North Carolina, expunction essentially means that the criminal records in the case are deleted from both the physical and electronic locations, and they're not available to be used against the person except under narrow, statutorily defined circumstances. Each state also has its own rules on when a person can get an expunction, what cases can be expunged, what are the eligibility criteria, including waiting periods and disqualifiers. Each state has its own complicated set of rules, including North Carolina. As I mentioned, there is the electronic relief guide to a criminal conviction that people can access on the School of Government website. It's a free electronic resource for people working in this area. So in particular, is there anything in North Carolina that this really helps and why it's so important for expunction law to exist? Like I had found a resource this summer in my internship that said 25% of adults in North Carolina have a conviction. And that's alarming. We're going to spend some time today talking about the Second Chance Act, which the General Assembly enacted this year, 2020. And I think the title itself indicates why expunctions are so important to people. They help give them a second chance. As you cite, the statistics do indicate that a a large percentage of people have criminal convictions and criminal records generally, even if they haven't resulted in convictions. Criminal records have become sort of a scarlet letter. 
in our world. They prevent people from getting a job or even getting a job interview. It may make it more difficult for them to obtain housing or engage in other activities. A lot of organizations routinely do criminal record searches now. So an expunction enables people to move past their mistakes because the information is no longer officially available. Now I say officially available because we live in an age when information can survive indefinitely in cyberspace, notwithstanding efforts to purge the official record. Still, expunctions remain desirable because they limit the information that's available. They limit the impact of that scarlet letter of a criminal record. Now, I found really fascinating how in North Carolina, we actually give people two chances for an expunction. One is under the age of 18, and then one as an adult. Is there any reason why we do that? So there are several statutes that have been enacted by the General Assembly over the years, creating different expunction opportunities. My recollection is that the expunctions for people under 18, if we're thinking about the same one, expunctions of misdemeanors committed before a person turned 18, was a really early expunction opportunity that the General Assembly enacted. In the last few years, the General Assembly has expanded expunction opportunities for people who have been convicted of crimes after they've turned, have committed offenses after they've turned 18. There are also expunction opportunities for low-level drug offenses for people under the age of 22. It's really a patchwork of opportunities that exist that have been enacted over the years as the General Assembly has recognized situations where an expunction is appropriate. So let's dive into the patchwork why we're here today, the SB 562 bill that got passed this summer. If you want to just give an overview of why this particular one was so important. I think we're going to get into some of the details, get into the weeds a bit, because you can't really avoid weeds when you're talking about expunctions. But let me start with a, a broader perspective. I think this legislation reflects the work of multiple stakeholders prosecutors, criminal defense and legal services attorneys, court officials, law enforcement officials, and they all recognize the importance of expanding expunction opportunities. They all came at this with different perspectives, and they, in the end, were able to come together in support of this legislation. Then it passed unanimously in both chambers of our General Assembly. So the act obviously had bipartisan support as well as support from different stakeholders in the criminal justice system. So from that broad perspective, that's a reason why it's so important, is because of this broad-based support and recognition of the importance of expanded expunction opportunities. You talk about the legislation and the bipartisan efforts. Now, from looking at the bill, it looks like there has been compromise. Prosecutors can now look back potentially at someone's record to increase sensing of another crime. Can you go into that? You're right. The bill does reflect compromise. And I think this is a trend here and elsewhere. In exchange for expanded expunction opportunities, the prosecution, I think, from what I understand, wanted the opportunity to uh, look back at an expunged conviction if the person is 
charged with a new offense. He's prosecuted for a new offense. A few years ago, expunction opportunities were expanded, and at that time, the prosecution gained the right to use the expunged, expunged conviction at sentencing on that new offense. With this latest expansion in the Second Chance Act, Senate Bill 562, the prosecution gained broader access, broader use, broader opportunities to use expunged convictions. So if there's a new charge, they can use an expunged conviction for cross-examination of the defendant if he takes the stand. They can use it as a prior conviction for habitual felon status or to elevate an offense to a higher level. That's in addition to the previous right they had to use an expunged conviction for prior record level at sentencing. So this is a trade-off in exchange for expanded expunction opportunities, which essentially keep the record for public view. The prosecution wanted the ability to look back at these expunged convictions if the person is charged with a new offense. Now, how as a lawyer can we use 562 to help our clients now, especially with the ability to look back and prosecution? Because I know we run statewide record checks when we get a new client with a criminal record? I don't think the act revolutionizes the options that are available to lawyers and clients. It's more of a continued evolution of expunction opportunities, which started about a little more than 10 years ago and is picking up more and more bipartisan and stakeholder support. I suspect we're gonna see more changes in the future. One of the biggest changes this time is the ability, is the expanded opportunity to expunge non-conviction records. By that, I mean cases that end without a conviction by a dismissal or an acquittal. Previously, a person could not get an expunction of a non-conviction, an arrest that ended up for a charge that ended up being dismissed, if the person had a prior felony conviction. They were simply barred. That limitation applied even when a person was acquitted in that later case, if they had a prior felony conviction, they could not expunge that matter. That's alarming because, you know, you think you're innocent into proven guilty and it shows up on your criminal record check that you have all these dismissals and it just seems counterproductive to our justice system. And this act eliminates that disqualifier. So now a person can get an expunction of a dismissal or an acquittal whether or not they have a prior conviction or they've received an expunction previously. There are some technical rules depending on how many charges were involved in the case and what the ultimate outcome was, but the big change was that a prior conviction, whether for a felony or a misdemeanor, is no longer a disqualifier. Another big change involves expunction of convictions of juveniles who were tried as adults before what's known as the raise the age legislation took effect. So under raise the age, a 16 or 17 year old ordinarily cannot be tried as an adult for misdemeanors or for class H and I felonies. Those are our lowest classes of felonies. Those cases have to be handled in juvenile court. So the question is what, do you, what about 16 and 17 year olds who are convicted as adults of misdemeanors and H&I felonies before raise the age took effect. In these new cases, 16 and 17-year-olds would not have an adult record. But in these older cases, 16 and 17-year-olds would have a 
criminal record. The Second Chance Act broadly allows expunctions of those convictions of 16 and 17 year olds before the raise the age legislation took effect. So that's a big development for younger people. Doing this research this summer, I did notice strange aspects of the law. It doesn't, some parts don't come into effect until 2021. Why do you think there's a delay? Because, you know, this was past the summer. You're referring to the automatic expunction provisions of non-conviction records, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So basically, under that part of the legislation, if a case qualifies, the record is automatically expunged. It's automatically purged without any action by the uh, defendant or by a defendant who becomes a petitioner. For records that aren't expunged automatically, the person's got to navigate the process for petitioning for an expunction. It can be complicated. It can often require an attorney to navigate that process. As I understand it, the the implementation of automatic expunction was delayed until, until 2021, simply because it's going to take some time for the North Carolina Administrative Office of the Courts to figure out how to do it and to get the change implemented in courts around the state. Basically, they've got to set up the computer program to identify the cases and to put processes into place so that I'm guessing the clerk can just push a button and the records are expunged. So that's the, that's the delay, is to allow the AOC time to figure this out. And then the last major thing I wanted to talk about was misdemeanors. So we talked about the underage misdemeanors, but this is just a general, anyone who has misdemeanors can potentially go and group them all together and get them all expunged with this new legislation, if I'm interpreting it correctly. Yes. So what the law has allowed is the expunction of there's one statute, I should say, that has allowed the expunction of nonviolent misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, as defined in that statute, what is a nonviolent offense, after a certain waiting period. For nonviolent misdemeanors, that's been five years. For nonviolent felonies, that's been 10 years. And you have to figure out how to calculate that five and 10 year period. If all of the convictions were in the same session of court, Essentially, that counts as one. But what happens if the offenses are across different periods, handled in different sessions of court? As I read the legislation, what it allows is that for nonviolent misdemeanors, if there's a seven-year conviction-free period, the person can go and get nonviolent misdemeanors expunged that were before that seven-year conviction-free period. And if the person has any violent, anything that is considered to be a violent misdemeanor or felony conviction, then they're ineligible for that to expunge multiple misdemeanors after a seven-year conviction-free period. What did your research disclose on that? Did you have concerns about it? What I had discovered was that the language used for the misdemeanors, the nonviolent misdemeanors, seemed to be open-ended for time, but it was very distinct when it was talking about felonies. I believe they added the word one felony in front of, you know, nonviolent felonies. They were purposeful 
with the use of that one. And so without having the purpose of putting one in front of misdemeanors, it led me to believe that, oh, we could do this with a large span of misdemeanors after, you know, the waiting period was finished. I think that's right. I think that that was one of the expansions in the legislation was to allow people to go back and clear their record of older nonviolent misdemeanors, whether they were handled in the same session of court or whether they spanned a series of years. Now, do you think they're going to let individuals who have misdemeanors in multiple jurisdictions, let's say Guilford and uh, Forsyth, be able to fall under this and get relief? Yes. Oh, awesome. Because I know that's one I, of the I, struggles that we, as a clerk, I've ran into this summer was having clients with records in multiple counties. That has been confusing for people is how to handle these petitions when somebody has cases in multiple counties. Where I've seen it come up is where having a prior expunction bars you from getting a second expunction. So if you if you file in Guilford, but you also need to file in Sampson, how do you make sure that everybody, and you have the right to have both of them expunged, how do you make sure that people don't think you got, you have a prior expunction that is a disqualifier? There are ways to cure that because the law basically allows an expunction, whether it's in one district or in another district, as long as the law itself says you can expunge multiple cases. Yeah, I will have to say I'm pretty excited to see what this does for the clients that I've dealt with, just how much it opens up uh, possibilities. And, you know, some people seek expunction for gun rights, but I've seen a lot of people actually do it for job-related issues and people getting jobs, good-paying jobs helps trickle down to their children and helping just the overall economy. It's a difficult area to study because the records are expunged. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a group out of Michigan Law School that did a study that showed the, about the impact of an expunction on employability and on wages. And they had basically anonymized data, if I'm using that word right, and were able to see there was actually an uptake in employment, you know, a, a statistically significant uptick in employment and in the amount of money people were making. Even with dismissals, which are not convictions, we, we as lawyers know, well, that's a dismissal and not a conviction, but those can be barriers to employment also. Organizations do a criminal record search, they see the record, uh, and that may make that uh, that may be enough to make them move to the next person. That can be as much of a scarlet letter, that dismissal as a criminal record. One other thing is interested district attorneys can now file petitions on behalf of people as well as waiting for the individuals to file. The studies have shown that the uptake on expunction opportunities is surprisingly low. Only a small percentage of eligible people actually file. That may be because of the expense or the complexity, or they simply don't know about the opportunity. So the law allows DAs, if they're interested, to go in, do a criminal record search, and get people's records cleared, which will 
help them with employment, effectuate the objective of giving them a second chance. Which, do you think the DAs would have to be approached by a petitioner? Because I know that the DAs do review the petitions that we send the clerk of court. And so that seems a little interesting and like skipping a couple steps. I had not really thought of it as an individual approaching the DA to have have him or her file. I suppose that's possible. I thought more of it as sort of a mass petition that a DA could file. Okay. That the DA could do a criminal record search of cases in his or her jurisdiction and uh, decide to go ahead and make that request for relief. But I suppose a person could go to a DA, go to a DA and ask the DA to file. Now, I really appreciate you meeting with us today. And what we ask to end all of our podcasts is, what does leading with purpose mean to you? Probably the most difficult question you've asked me today. <laughs> it's not a phrase I've thought of a lot. If I can do the lawyer thing and rephrase the question, you know, for me, it's, you know, what does acting with purpose mean? As lawyers, as law students, we always act with purpose in our work. We always look at the law and act purposefully in, in how we interpret it and apply it. But I also think as lawyers and as law students, our legal skills, our knowledge of the law allows us to go beyond just that specific case. We can act with purpose with our legal knowledge to help improve people's lives. I think this project you're working on with expunctions is an example of how we can act with purpose and I guess lead with purpose to use the law to help improve people's lives. Well, I appreciate it and thank you. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.